We have been given a unique position as bearers of hope and as ambassadors of light. We are blessed with the privilege of bringing comfort in trouble and perspective in trial. That in this current situation, praise God that we are that we're not like Victoria at the moment and going through the various issues that are taking place down there. Praise God that we're not like the US and the tensions that seem to be permeating every aspect of that society. But even if we were, we have the privilege and the opportunity to be beacons of love as we hold to Jesus, as we take his perspective, as we obey his calling and manifest a peace that transcends every circumstance. Uh, we, can, we can display a power that, that calms the storm and we can express a love that represents the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, in today's message, there are several things I want us to look at in order to, to move our line of sight away from ourselves and over the troubles that are hindering us, above the obstacles that stand in our way and, and prayerfully get our eyes on to the Lord and on his calling that he's placed on our lives. For when my eyes are on him, then my calling is clearer. My desire to meet that calling becomes more resolute and my focus is then in the right place. So if you have your Bibles, please open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and we're going to look at just a, a small passage, so three or four verses. So starting at verse 3, we read this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Join me in a word of prayer and we'll look at this passage together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the opportunity we have now to study your word. And I ask that you will reveal yourself to us in such a mighty way, Father, that you will, that you will fill our empty hearts that you will satisfy our thirsty souls. And Father, that we will find our contentment and our whole being met and, and, and brought to fruition and, and, and brought to completeness in you and in you alone. Teach us now, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. The amount of descriptions that are given to us in Scripture about who God is and about what God is like, how he is the almighty creator as demonstrated in the book of Genesis. He is the one who spoke 
the universe into being. He is the great I am, how he reveals himself to Moses in Exodus. He is the eternal God, and as he's described in Deuteronomy. He is the sustaining God. He is the sovereign, almighty ruler. He is the consuming fire. He is the God who is jealous, and he is not to be trifled with. He is the, the God whose righteous anger for his, well, for his being, for his people. He is the one who we were looking at today who has a description that is slightly contrary to the way that he is described in the passages that I have just mentioned. And I find it really encouraging because I think this is something we can overlook or even forget at times. And and so the first thing we want to look at today is who he is. As discovered in verse 3 of today's passage in 2 Corinthians, who he is, he is the God of compassion and all comfort. So we read in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Oh, sorry about that. The God of all comfort. We can often focus on this side of the Lord, or on one side of the Lord that rightly causes us to fear, uh, causes us to revere him as our God and as our master and as our king. And we openly forget that he is also our loving father, that he is a father who wants what's best for us, a father who is involved with us, and a father who is compassionate and comforting. I mean, we read in the scriptures a father that understands and knows what you need before you even ask him in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. That we have a father who gives good gifts to those who ask him in Matthew 7, 11. A father that invites us into his presence and gives us his authority to fulfill his calling just like he did with the disciples in John chapter 10, verse 1. It's a beautiful description of our God as compassionate and comforting. And it is appropriate for this letter that, it, that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, as well as appropriate for us even now. You see, this church in Corinth has gone through the ringer. And they went through the ringer because of the choices that they had made. Their immaturity in creating factions. You know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Jesus. Childishness of being governed by their, their carnal desires. And Paul writes about that and says, I can't speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal. Their foolishness by compromising clear biblical standards. And with this being their state, the Lord just doesn't cast them off. Instead, he responds compassionately and, comf and, and, and in comfort to them. And because of, of their responding to the Lord's loving discipline, now it's, it's not a matter of him just accepting that foolishness and that childishness and that immaturity, but you see that they respond to God's loving correction. And you see this made reference in 2 Corinthians 7 when Paul joys over their repentance. And repentance is something we're going to look at in a couple of weeks' time. But we see, we see how this God who is loving and compassionate manifests that, that comfort and that compassion to his people here at Corinth. Now, I don't know what you're currently 
going through with everything that's going on. I don't know how you're coping even personally with sin in your life or struggling in your walk or suffering from doubt. But like the Corinthians, it's important to remember the father heart of God who, like a loving parent, seeks to discipline us and bring us back to himself. A loving discipline. If you read in Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those who love, who he loves. And he not only disciplines, but he also understands that we are as flesh, a passing breeze that doesn't return, as Psalm 78, 39 says. And, and if you read in Hebrews 4, 15, we read about how Jesus identifies or knows what it is and how it is that we go through because he himself experienced going through it, but not giving into it. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, I want to be clear here. The Lord doesn't condone their sin, just like he doesn't condone our sin. The Lord does, does not accept their foolishness, just as he doesn't accept our foolishness, because there will be definite consequences. There's always definite consequences of us trying to live apart from God's word, live apart from God's way, and try to be apart from God's presence. But we can praise the Lord as we are the recipients of his compassion by Christ. We can praise the Lord as we are the recipients of his understanding of our situation through Christ. And we can praise the Lord as we are the recipients of his kindness toward our being in Christ. Because you see the compassion, or it's not the compassion, the culmination of this compassion in Jesus. And we witness the reality of that compassion every time we are convicted of sin. The compassion of God that, that brings me to a point of sorrow. The compassion of God that brings me to a point of remorse for my sinful attitude or my sinful thoughts or even my sinful conduct. For such conviction shows me that he is working within my heart and showing me what hurts him, what has offended him in the choices that I make and what I choose to do. You see this heart reflected in Jeremiah 2 in verses 1 to 5. When One of the greatest questions when God poses to his children, poses to the people of Israel, what, what, have, what fault has, have your fathers found in me? What is that I've done wrong for you to turn away? And it, it always comes down to such a question as God didn't do anything. It, it's usually me. But, but he then provides in Christ the means whereby I can be forgiven and where the compassion and mercy of the Lord is manifest toward me. And in receiving of this compassion of the Lord, we then get to experience his comfort too. And, and you, know, you know what this is. You know what this is. You know, when you, when you see a distraught child and the child settles in your arms as you embrace them, when you see a stressed spouse who, who finds peace and rest by merely being in your company. When you walk 
when you walk in home, when you get to a safe haven that is your home from a bustling and oppressive workday where things may not have worked out the way you want it to work out in the workplace, where there's difficulty of issues that have sprung up one after the other and, and that there might be issues that still may be present. I am told here in this passage that in the midst of my issues, in the midst of the various difficulties, he is the God of comfort, of all comfort, the passage says. The one in whom solace is found, the one where consolation is reached, and the one where peace is experienced. This is the haven this is the rest. This is the embrace, the comfort that God offers to me, to you, in Jesus Christ. And that as the God of compassion, he is slow to anger and abounding in love. That, that as the God of comfort, he is with me and his rod and staff, they comfort me. That is the blessing of knowing our God of compassion and our God of comfort. This that is taking place all around us even now has allowed for us to see that in it, in all this is taking place, that he is still God, that he has not forgotten us, that he is present with us. And how do I know that these are realities in each of our lives? It is because of what we receive. What we receive is God's comfort. We receive God's comfort. At the end of verse 3 again to verse 4, we read this. Okay, Who comforts us in all our troubles, in verse 4, sorry, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, I know I've already touched on the comfort, just touched on the comfort of God in the previous point, but the blessing of us being the recipients of God's comfort is not that I, not so I receive a reprieve from the issues and the troubles that I'm facing. It is not so I can be, have a rest from my struggle, even though those most probably will take place. But as stated here, it is done so that as we have received, we in turn can then comfort others as well. We can comfort others in their trouble. We can comfort others in their hardship. We can comfort others in their issue. The peace that we have received in the midst of trouble, we can then impart to others. The, the word of encouragement we've received from the Lord, whether in prayer or through the word, we can then share with others. The faithfulness of God that we experience, we can then show to others. The promises of God that gives us strength, we can then tell to others. The relationship with Him that deepens our lives, we can then use to bless others. You see this in John chapter 8 with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery who experienced personally the compassion and comfort of God in Christ and granted her the liberty to live victoriously. Cliff Kneedle, uh, he's an apologist in, in Canada, says this, The woman came to Christ guilty, but Jesus was not there to condemn. 
Jesus was informing her that he would one day absorb in his body the horrible penalty, penalty for her sin. Because of his death on the cross, she could be forgiven. Because of his death in her place, she could be free. Because she knelt before him and acknowledged her need of him, he forgave her and sent her away cleansed and free to live a new life. That new life she received, that compassion that was bestowed upon her, the comfort that she had been the recipient of, which she then bore to the others in her life. She brought these other guys to Jesus. The salvation, the freedom, the compassion, and the comfort that Christ gave to this woman, she in turn took and then imparted it, that same salvation, that same freedom, that same compassion, that same comfort, she imparted to others for them to experience Jesus themselves as well. As freely as she received, she then freely gave. Because he is the one who speaks order into our chaos. He is the one that holds us in his hand. He is the one who desires to prosper us and not harm us, calling us to find our security, our sufficiency, and our sustenance in him. Psalm 9.18 says this, God will never forget the needy and the hope of the afflicted will never perish. For humanity, for you and I, our humanity, our greatest need is the need for salvation from sin. And God addressed that compassionately and mercifully by sending Jesus. He withheld his judgment upon me for my sin and placed it on Jesus in my place. And in my need for deliverance from sin's power and penalty, I can be made right with God through faith in Christ. And this doesn't mean that I am free from affliction, but what it does mean is that I can have hope in that affliction. And I am strengthened because God is present with me in that time, in that hardship, for linked with this meeting of our need is the hope in Christ that ultimately we are victorious. Ultimately, we will win. If you recall uh, Psalm, uh, not Psalm, forgive me, if you recall Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory to be revealed in us is a promise made to us from our Father to not only comfort us, but to help us in changing our perspective from the temporal to the eternal. And that in turn is to change the prioritizing of things in our lives from self-focused to God-focused. It is so that as freely as we have received of God's goodness and of God's understanding and of God's provision and of God's peace and of God's compassion and comfort, we can then freely give of that same goodness and understanding and provision and peace and compassion and comfort to others. We can give that to those in the household of faith, to brothers and sisters within the church and even outside of the church to bless 
and to encourage and to spur on and to love and good works, as it talks about in Hebrews 10. And for those who are outside of the household of faith, in order to, for them to see and experience and to know the love of God revealed in Christ through us. Matthew 5.16 speaks to that, that men may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven, your Father in heaven. This is what happens as we are the recipients of such compassion and such comfort that has been bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. That others may see, that others may know, that others may witness the greatness of God through us. What an amazing privilege that's been bestowed that we have that opportunity to, to show the truth of who God is and what we say and in what we do. Henry Blackaby makes this comment. He says, The Christian needs to walk in peace so no matter what happens, they will be able to bear witness to a watching world. What an incredible witness it is to a lost and fearful society when the Christian acts like a child of God living under the loving sovereignty of their heavenly Father. What a witness that we have and what a witness we can be, not only to those inside the household of faith, but to those outside the household of faith as well. I mean, you have seen this. You have seen the lives of brothers and sisters who, in the face of trial, have not allowed the difficulties of life, the health issues they faced, or various things that they encounter become the defining aspect of who they are. I have seen saints suffering depression who, by the grace of God, have experienced deliverance and mercy and become trophies of God's grace. I, I've seen brothers suffering in numerous ways who speak and testify of the goodness of God in seemingly overwhelming odds. I have seen sisters who, in the face of massive trials of having their, their worlds being shattered, stand in the power of God and overcome massive trials. I have seen you, even within Jesus' seat, coming alongside others and giving comfort and speaking a word of encouragement or holding a hand or putting an arm around a brother or sister and praying for them. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle, or soon after that, and, and all these things that I've experienced, and I've seen you guys come along alongside each other and bless one another abundantly. How? How is that able to happen? How does that take place? How, when a world is falling apart, somebody is able to look past it, see God and say, what can I do for you? How can I glorify God in your life? How can I, how can I glorify God and draw you closer to Jesus Christ? I've seen people do that within the church, and it's been absolutely amazing. How? And it's because of what is seen. What is seen is this change of perspective. They have their eyes on things above. They make their choices with heaven in mind. They seek to be governed by the word of God as the spirit of God leads them in the ways of the son of God. And it's not because they're great. It's not because that they, that they're a spiritual giant. It's because God is great. It's because God is good. And it's because they've been captured by the love of that great God in the person of Christ. You see, this perspective changes, sorry, this perspective change 
and the way Paul and those with him view their trials and their sufferings and their hardships that they went through. I mean, if you read 2 Corinthians 10, verses 16 to the end of the chapter, you get an idea, you know, the, the lashings and the being stranded and, and all the persecution that he suffered. But with that in mind, with that in mind, we read in verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Here's the first thing with this change of perspective. Their focus is upon Christ. Their sufferings are linked with Christ's call. Their comfort is experienced abundantly through Christ's presence. Not just in theory, but in practice. It was in the beatings they received for the gospel they experienced the power of God to endure. It was in the isolation of being stranded at sea he experienced the blessing of God being present. It was in the dangers connected to following Jesus he experienced the grace of God that proved to be more than sufficient. But you notice something here, that it had to be in the midst of these trials that the reality of the word of God's presence and God's promises that took place. It was in the living for Christ the fullness of Christ is experienced. You see this, and I, I see this when the high school when kids get it. They talk about, go live life, live life, experience life, find out what life is all about, and all that sort of stuff. You have, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with it. nothing wrong with traveling. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But the same principle applies for us in our lives and in our relationships with Jesus Christ. You want to know what the fullness of God's promises are? Then step out by faith and find out what those promises are. You want to know the power of God in your life? Then step out by faith and see the power of God provide. You want to know how God continually answers prayer? Then step out by faith and see God answer prayer. That's all it comes down to. See, Paul's focus was upon the person of Christ, and he interpreted everything he encountered through that lens. This is where we need to have our, our perspective changed. And we won't know that fullness unless we live in accordance to the person and the word of God, the person of Christ and the word of God. It has to be, it has to be that's the focus change needs to start there. In verse 6 we read, If we are distressed, <clears throat> it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So, we initially begin with Paul's focus is upon Christ. And then it moves from on Christ as it is focused upon Christ. It then becomes focused upon each other. In their distress, it was for the church's comfort and salvation. In their comfort, they saw it as a means to bless the church with comfort in turn. And in blessing the church, they witnessed the patient endurance come to fruition. There is that change of perspective. Their direct action was seen from the perspective of investing into God's people and into God's kingdom. That what they did, they saw as a means to encourage, to build up, to edify, to bless others within the church. For example, John and Chris have a lot of people go to their house and, and fellowship there, which is a great blessing. And I will receive a photo, and I might see five or six people at John and Carissa's house. I might see you know, five or six people at the Nick and Joe's house. 
that act that they, that they step out by, they step out by faith to go and fellowship with the saints, that act brings to me such an encouragement. That act blesses me abundantly as I see people gather in the name of Jesus Christ to worship as one body. That act blesses me abundantly and builds up my faith and how God uses that to encourage us. This is what Paul is talking about here, that his act with those and what they're doing and the things that they suffer brings comfort to them, brings blessing to them, brings a patient endurance to them. This is the effect that we can have on each other within the household of faith. The act of the guys putting things together for the, for the online stream, that act blesses me abundantly as I see these people wanting to bless the church. Joyce and everyone that's been doing the online stuff and, and, and singing and, and emceeing, that act blesses me abundantly as I see them serve us as the church. Which means this then, I, it, it's somewhat of a double-edged sword because just as, say, what these guys have been doing for us online or a text or a phone call or an email or even a letter, if you still do those things, even a letter, we, we do those things in order to stay connected while we're apart. We, order, we do those things because we want to encourage people while we're apart, which means then if that act can bless and build up and encourage, which means then if I'm not contacting people, if I'm deciding to withdraw and hold myself back for whatever reason, if I choose not to respond to the Spirit's prompting to send somebody a text or to send somebody a letter or to send somebody an email or to give somebody a phone call, then if, if I'm not doing that, then I'm actively playing a part in tearing down. I'm actively playing. If I'm not, if I'm not building up, I'm tearing down. It's, it's that classic example of, if it's not growing, it's dying. And that's, that's a state that we don't want to get into, even now, with, while we're still apart, that we might venture out from ourselves and be able to bless. The smallest of apps can have the abundant effect of blessing somebody else within the body of Christ. So let's not fall into that trap. As we read in verse 7, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. The result of being a building of unity, the strengthening of bonds, the deepening of our connections as a church, that the way that the focus is upon Christ and then becomes upon others, there is a building and a deepening of connections for us as a church. This is something we can forget or we can allow other things to take precedent over or interfere with in our relationships as a church. I think back in GCC to when brothers and sisters who are, are, are friends of ours who have been called home to glory and the sufferings we experienced and endured as a church, the compassion and the comfort demonstrated and expressed to each other as we came alongside each other in prayer and in fellowship and in support and how we sought to, to, to hold each other close and, and, and just be there for one another. I, I think back to when there are trials of ill health or unexplained medical conditions and how in prayer and, and unity and, and in the presence of God we sought to be there for each other 
and how we, we, we made a point of being there. I really want you to know this morning that whatever state you may find yourself in, even now at the moment, whatever sin that has captive, that has enslaved you, whatever choice that causes guilt, that whatever hindrance holds you back in the Lord, he is the one that invites us to himself as the God of all compassion. He is the one that says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. That he is the one who, as the God of all comfort, provides for me when he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the one who graciously and lovingly runs to me with arms open wide as he did for the prodigal son and celebrates my return and my repentance toward him. He is the one as the God of compassion and all comfort that says, come, return to me. So I pray, I pray that as we look at today's passage, that we will be drawn to the fact that he is our God. Who he is, is the God of compassion and comfort toward us. That we are the recipients of his comfort. And as the recipients of his comfort, we then will have a change of our perspective. And what we see is him doing amazing works. That change of perspective of him working within these circumstances, even though we may not fully understand them. Please, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. I pray that we as your people will be willing to repent of anything that has hindered us and preventing us from coming to you as our God and as our Savior. We ask for you to dismiss us now with everything that's going on that you will burden our hearts to be active in reaching out to one another. Father, please help us. May the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble, so that we might comfort others in trouble as well with the comfort we have received from God and Christ. On you we have set our hope that you will continue to deliver us as we help each other by our prayers then we will give thanks to our God for the gracious favor granted to us in Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.